and amen. Well, how we doing? How, how about that extra hour of sleep, everybody? It was great. My alarm clock still went off at 6.15 and didn't mean for it to. It meant for it to go off at 7. So uh, I was up bright and early this morning. Um, we're going to take the next couple of weeks. I, I want to talk to you on, on the subject of whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Now, if I asked you, if you could go back to a different year in your life, what year would you want to go back to? You get some, some oof, oof, like maybe there were some things that happened along the way, like probably wouldn't have dated this person or probably would have made that investment or um, maybe chose a different school to go to. I mean, anybody, what, what year would you go back to? I don't remember 1977. Anybody? <laughs> 1999. See, here's my thing about 1999. It was great. Until around December, when everybody started talking about Y2K. I was about to graduate in the year 2000. I thought, oh great, I wasted all this time in school. They're going to lose my grades. Every computer in the world is going to crash and it's going to be over. Any, anybody else feared Y2K in 2000? How about 1994? O.J. Simpson and DeBronco. Y'all don't remember that going down the interstate? I mean, if we think about, could we go back to a certain time in our lives? What time would you want to pick? I bet if you were Ronald Wayne, you would want to go back to April the 12th of 1976. You may not know who Ronald Wayne is, but Ronald Wayne came up with the actual Apple logo on the Mac computer. That was his design. He, he made that. He actually wrote the manual for the Apple One computer. He, he's one of the three co-founders of Apple Computer. And on August the 12th of 1976, as one of the three co-founders Ronald Wayne decided to sell his stake in the company, 10% of his stake, for $2,300. Not even two weeks from when he made the financial investment, Ronald said he was afraid of the direction of his young business partners who were taking the company, taking control of the company. He did not believe that the company would ever take off. <clears throat> Let me put my iPhone right here in my iPad, Ronald. He didn't believe those guys and their strategies. He didn't believe the company was going to take off. And, and unlike his counterparts, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, Wayne actually had capital on the line and decided, I don't want to lose my money, so I'd rather just get my money back. So he sells the stock for $2,300. Now, had Ronald, had he retained his full stock in the Apple, it would currently be worth somewhere around $270 billion today. By the way, Apple's currently the most valuable company in the world, and it has a net worth of $3 trillion. Ronald Wayne's only worth about $2 million today, by the way. Um, but I bet you, if he could go back to any point in his life, he would go back to April the 12th of 1976 and just trust that the company was going to make it. But he sold out for a measly $2,300 in comparison to $270 billion. And here's the sad thing about the story. There's Apple logos everywhere. He's having to look at it and think, could have been me. Well, today in Luke chapter 18, what we're going to look at is a guy who walked away from something even greater, an even greater opportunity than Ronald Wayne. And... This guy's going to walk away from one where the stakes are much higher 
than that of Apple or any other corporation or investment. And you're probably going to find yourself reading this story going, what in the world is this guy walking away from? Why is he doing this? So today we're going to look at Luke chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles, you can go and turn to Luke chapter 18. We're, we're going to start again this series called Whatever It Takes. And the focus over these next couple of weeks is going to be us being willing to do whatever it takes to follow Jesus and to go wherever he takes us to go. Amen. Isn't that what discipleship is? Take up your cross and what? Follow. He didn't ask us to lead him. He, he will lead. We will follow. And what Luke's going to show us is that following Jesus isn't just about adding a little bit of religion to your life. It's not about adding a little bit of moral to your life. Being, being a follower of Jesus is more than just these moral tweaks, and it's more than just adding religion. What it means is that we are fully turning our backs on everything that we know and anything that makes us feel secure that is not Him and pouring everything, our entirety, into Him. And the question is, do you believe in Him? Because we say we believe, but our lives will tell if we truly believe. And so look at Luke chapter eight, 18, starting in verse 18. It says, a, a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a really good question. I don't, I don't fault the guy for asking this question. Now, without reading the rest of this, and I asked you, what do you think Jesus' answer would be here? What we would think, well, uh, you've you got to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Uh, you've got to put your faith in him, trust him as your savior. Because um, Jesus says, whoever believes in me will have everlasting life. Those are the things that you think that Jesus would say to him after he makes that statement, right? What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? If someone asked you, what do I need to do to have eternal life, what would you say? You would probably say those same things. You, you need to put your faith in Jesus and believe in him. But Jesus doesn't say any of those things because he can see into this guy's heart. He knows where this guy's going, and he wants to help him learn a few things about himself. So Jesus takes this conversation in a completely different direction. Look what he says in verse 19. He says, Jesus says, uh, why do you call me good, Jesus asked. No one is good except God alone. Now, some people would try to rip this apart and say, go, hey, see, Jesus wasn't truly God because he's saying he wasn't good. Jesus isn't saying that he's not good. What Jesus is doing here by asking the question, why do you call me good? is he's challenging this guy's superficial view of what goodness is. Because in his mind, he, he's a rich ruler, right? He, he's got some money. He's, he's got some power. And in his mind, this is good. So he's got a different view of this. And, and he thinks that he's, he's a good guy. And Jesus is a good guy. But Jesus says, do you really think that you're good enough for God? Now, this is the conversation. Do you really think that you're good enough to inherit eternal life. This guy's not picking up. He's a little slow on the conversation of what Jesus is trying to say. But Jesus is trying to drive a point home here. So he's going to press in just a little bit more to get this guy to understand. He's building attention here. Because in verse 20, he says this. He says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. Now, in the Bible, the, the universal standard for goodness is following the commandments. And so he begins to ask them, okay, since you're so good, let me ask you about the Ten Commandments. How are you doing with committing adultery? Well, I've, I've been faithful to my wife. But see, 
He's not saying it a physical. It's also the attitude of thinking about a relationship with someone other than your spouse. Fantasizing about it. Looking at someone inappropriately. Looking at pornography on the internet. He's he's saying, how are you doing with that? Because it's not just what you physically do. It is what is in your heart that, that we're looking at. And so he, he hits them on, on that command of what, how are you doing about committing adultery? What about murder? And he's like, I haven't, I haven't killed anybody. Well, again, it goes back to what I think in my mind of how I feel about people. And of course, he about stealing. You ever stole anything? Well, I've never walked in a convenience store and stole anything, but have you ever been paid to do a job and you have not fully done that job because you spent four hours of your eight-hour workday watching YouTube videos of cats? That's a whole other issue, by the way, if you're four hours of cat videos. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. How are you doing about bearing false witness? Are you lying? Are you telling the truth about things? I, I, and, and honoring your mother and father, it's not just about mom and dad. It's, it's about are you honoring the authority that has been placed over you? It's much deeper than what we, we kind of read it and see. And Jesus is, is kind of coming in like, hey, you, you think you're good because you feel like you've not committed adultery and you've not stolen anything and you've not bear false witness. But I'm, what I want to ask is, let's look at it not on the superficial level. Let's really get down and start asking the questions. How's your heart? And this guy, this guy misses it because look what he says in verse 21. This is young Robbie in high school having a conversation with Jesus when Jesus says, you know all these things, how you doing? And I would say, I've kept all these things from my youth. I've done a, I've done a pretty good job. And what do you think Jesus' response to this is going to be? It, it, he's not going to come at him and pat him on the back and say, I got you a ribbon. I'm going to give you a gold star. This is going to be wonderful. At this point, any person in this room would realize if we're in this conversation with Jesus, uh, we're in trouble. Because we've not followed. I mean, we've broken commandments today, have we not? All right, three people. Everybody else is probably lying, so you too. And he says that, I'm clean, man, I'm good. Jesus says, I've done everything. This guy has no concept of how not good he really is. Because he is so committed to the, the physical things and not to the spiritual. And Jesus is having this, I would call this an open heart surgery right here, because he has no idea how insufficient his goodness is for earning God's favor. So now, having now tried twice, Jesus is trying to get him to open up and help this guy see that he's, he's got a depravity issue with his heart. Jesus makes one more attempt to, to open his eyes, and he says this in verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he told him, you still lack one thing. Because remember, this guy checked off all these lists of all these things he had done. And he said, you still lack one thing. Sell all you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. Now, you might be asking, is this actually a requirement of a disciple? Because I know people that love Jesus, and they've not completely sold everything that they have to, to, in order to have salvation. And Jesus is not telling you that what you need to do today is go sell your house and your car and your, you fill in the blank of everything that you have. That's not what he's saying. Because I, I honestly, I don't know a whole lot of people who have done that. Do, do you? That have given, I mean, everything. They're down to a t-shirt and a pair of rainbow flip-flops and a pair of underwear that should have been thrown out two Christmases ago. You know? He says, I, I, don't, I don't know 
given everything away. What Jesus is trying to make a point to this guy is not telling him that you've got to be willing to give, you've got to give all these things up. But if Jesus asked you to give everything that you had, would you be willing to do so? Because the things that we hold on to so tightly when he asks us to let go, that is our idol. That is where our worship is. And so Jesus is going to make this point. He says this in verse 23. After he heard this, he became extremely sad. You want to see why he became extremely sad? What does that next line say? Because he was very rich. Seeing that he became sad, Jesus said, How hard is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And those who heard this asked, then who can be saved? Because this sounds impossible, right? I mean, are you trying to visualize a camel going through the eye of a needle? Have you ever tried to thread a needle? That will test your relationship with God, right? And he says, those who heard this asked, then who can even be saved? And he replied, listen, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And then Peter said, because you know he's got to get a word in. He says, look, we've left what we had and we followed you. Oh, really? Is that why when Jesus was crucified and put in the tomb that you went back to Galilee to your fishing boat and you were fishing again when Jesus found you? Okay, Peter, I get you. And he said, so he said to them, truly, I tell you, there is no one who has left a house, wife or brothers or sisters, parents or children because of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more at this time an eternal life than the age to come. There's a couple of things in this passage I want us to see this morning. Number one, Jesus has given us a way to salvation. He's showing what it means to truly be rescued by him, to truly be saved by God. His main goal in this conversation is to drive this guy to a point to realize I have absolutely nothing and anything that I do have is because of God. He is trying to get this guy to understand, to stop looking at your own goodness for salvation and start looking for God. Listen, if we could gain salvation on our own by the good merits that we, we do, then why did Jesus even need to come and lay his life down? But we, we sometimes ignore that and we try to do all these good things. That we check all these lists off of all the things that we've done, all the accolades that we've done. But in the end, it will not matter when we stand before him without a relationship with him. Because he is the only thing. When they asked, how do we get to the Father? The only way to the Father is through the Son. It is through him. So Jesus makes this very confusing statement in verse 25. He says, for it is easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, number one, that's impossible, right? We just talked about trying to put a thread through it. I've been around camels when I was in Israel. Um, those things are mean, okay? Also, really weird when you pull up to a gas station and you have cars getting gas and you have camels tied up to the poles because people rode their camel to the store. That's, and they will bite and they will spit and they will kick. Um, trust me on the bite part. Um, and so what I want you to understand about this confusing statement to us when he's talking about, hey, these camels going through the eye of a needle. The original audience thought about rich people completely different from the way that we see rich people, right? The way that we would view rich people in today's society, we start thinking about the government, right? Um, that 
is corrupt. Anybody that got rich probably had, it was probably some corruption involved is the way that you look at it. And so that's the way that we would view in our, our society, which is not always true, by the way, but that's the way that we view it. But here's what I want you to understand, I want you to see. We've got to stop reading the Bible in the context of the United States and start seeing it in the context of who it was written during the time. Okay, we got to read it through Eastern eyes. So when they talk about rich people, being rich was a sign of God's blessing. It didn't necessarily mean money. Now, in this case with this guy, it was finances. But when the Bible's talking about being rich, it's not just talking about money. It's just talking about God's blessings. See, these were steeped in the book of Proverbs, which says that the wise man is usually a wealthy man. And that wealth is often a sign of God's favor. The wealthy get wealthy, um, is what Proverbs 23 says, in part because they control their appetites. They work hard, they invest, they save. But the worldview that they have is more biblical than what our worldview is of, of being rich. Proverbs does talk about uh, living wise and, and spending and saving. It talks about those things that lead to wealth. But generally speaking, when we see the word rich in the scripture, it is talking about wisdom, blessing, and wealth. All of those. You can be rich in any of those. Which is why when Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into heaven, they respond by saying, those who had heard it, then who can be saved? Because their moment is, well, I guess it's only the greedy, greedy people. But what he's saying here is, no, nobody, nobody can come to this point without Jesus, without me. And that's, that's what he's telling them here. This is why he says in verse 27, what is impossible with man is possible with who? God can put a camel through the eye of a needle if he wanted to. I'd actually like to kind of see that myself. That would be worth watching four hours of YouTube to, to see that. But salvation, he says, comes differently. It's not a reward for, what, for being righteous. It's not a reward. We live in this reward system. We do this, we get this. You, get, you do this, you get this. No, you received salvation. You have been declared righteous. You didn't do anything for salvation, right? Did you do anything for you to be saved? No. <laughs> if you did... There was no point in Jesus coming. And so what, what he's saying is this is not a reward for righteous. You can never be wise enough, never be good enough, never be righteous enough, never be blessed enough to earn eternal life. Salvation is a gift that goes to those who are humble enough to admit they are helpless. Salvation starts with humility. Because I've got to say that I need somebody to do for me what I could not do for me. And that's Jesus. That's Jesus. And so, God only saves bad people. Well, you say, what about good people? Well, there are no good people. <laughs> We're all bad. No, there's no bad guys and good guys. There, there's, there's bad. Because that's the only kind of people that there truly are. If we measured ourselves against the Ten Commandments, if we broke out in groups today, I gave you a list of the Ten Commandments, and we measured ourselves on how well we're really doing with those, how would our scores look? Probably would not want to be in groups with other people to expose ourselves, right? But listen to this. The author, Sally Lloyd-Jones, uh, Lloyd she, she wrote the Jesus Calling book, says this. To come to Jesus, all you need is, you ready? Need. It's all you need. 
And need is the one thing that this guy did not have. He did not see a need for Jesus because he had everything else that he thought was secure. So Jesus shows us salvation, but he also shows us the particular problem of money in this passage. There's an issue with the money. Not only did Jesus overturn the idea that someone can be good enough to be accepted by God, he also challenged this worldview when he said that riches are actually hinder our ability into the kingdom of God. You'd say, well, I don't know that I would consider myself rich, right? Let me help you. If you know where your next meal is coming from, you're rich. I mean, you may not feel rich in America. Let me take you to some places. Let me show you some things. If you have a savings account, you are in the category of rich, even if it is two cents. You're in the rich category by the standards of people. We have more conveniences, more disposable income, more flexibility than 99% of the people that Jesus talked to and would have ever dreamed of talking to. Second thing, money's not the only thing that you can be rich in. You might be rich in looks. You know, I struggle with that. I get it. Um, Brandon struggles with that. I know Dylan struggles with that. So, you know, we struggle with the looks. Thank God for Photoshop, you know. But you, you may... You may be rich in looks. You, you might be rich in talent. There's some people in here, especially with this building project, that I was like, wow, I didn't know you knew all this stuff. Like, you know electricity. I do not. Like, I know if I touch this and this, you get shocked. Now, I know how to do first aid, so I can be of help there. There's some talented people in here. There are people that take a piece of paper, they can draw an incredible picture. There are people that can take an instrument, and they can play amazing things. There are people who can meet somebody for the first time, remember their name, know their address, end up getting their social security number, know everything about them because they just, they just care. Like this, it's an incredible talent. You might, you might be rich in talent. You might be rich in potential. You might be rich in reputation. Rich is on your resume. Like you're rich in something, like God's given you something. You're rich and you know you're rich when you would say that anything that would make you feel secure and competent as you look towards the future, that's what you're rich in. If you're confident and secure in that thing. Okay, so here's why Jesus says that money is a spiritual liability. He says money is a form of power that quickly replaces our sense of need of God. If I, if, when, when you're doing really well, especially financially, you're doing really well financially, your prayers aren't God. Uh, thank you for the blessings and the finances. It's typically like you don't really have a need to speak to God as much. But when... Life hits and your roof flies off and, um, I, I don't know, your, 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 your tires fall off your car and you get hit with bill after bill after bill and your savings account begins to drain. I bet your prayer life changes, doesn't it? Why is it always that our prayer life change in the seasons of need but not in the seasons of abundance? Because he, he's, here's what Jesus is saying. I need you to understand that in the season of abundance or in the season of need, I'm all you need. It's all you need. And so money will promise us security. Anybody feel secure by their money right now? My goodness. Took out a second mortgage to get gas the other day. Money offers you those kinds of power. And people love power. And when they do, they typically will lose their love 
for God. Now, I know people financially rich love Jesus. You would never know about their money situation, but they will bless, 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 and say, don't tell anybody about this. This was, they, they literally take the, the Bible verse of like, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. But Jesus says this, you cannot serve God and money. You will love the one and you will hate the other one. By the way, he doesn't say this about anything else in the scripture. Because he knows that money is the one that gets us. And don't get tense. Some of you getting tensed up and you're starting to guard your wallet because you think I'm about to ask you for money. I don't want your money. What I want you to do is be obedient to what Jesus says. I'm not trying to get you to give more tithes to this church. I don't care. You give money to this church, you'll give money to another church. I just want you to be obedient in doing whatever God tells you to do, to be able to release whatever your security is. It might be your good looks. It might be your talent. It might be your potential. It might be your wallet. I just want you to be obedient to what God tells you to. We got money in the church because our God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He says this. The, the, the third thing is the essential question is this is lordship. He shows us salvation. He, he shows us the problems with money, but, but he's trying to show too that he is Lord. Can you imagine Jesus standing in front of you and you having this conversation and you're missing it because you're holding so tightly to things that you feel secure in but can be gone tomorrow. It doesn't take but a moment. It doesn't take but just a moment. When we read the text, we see this statement that says, when Jesus heard this, he told him, you still lack one thing, sell everything that you have, distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. Now, that's not an extra salvation requirement. What it sounds like is Jesus is saying, you don't have to do this to go to heaven. But he's, the key to interpreting this, as Jesus said, is to notice, and notice what he says. He says, one thing you lack, but then he actually lists three things. Kind of like the honeydew list. I need you to do this. And then there's 14 things that go underneath that one category. He lists these three things. He says, you go sell your possessions. You give to the poor. And you follow me. You want to know the one thing that this guy lacks? Jesus. Jesus. But to get to him, you got to open your hand up for everything else. Because I can't hold tightly to my security over here in this thing, this gift, and expect to cling to Jesus at the same time. Sometimes the freedom is just in doing this, letting go. Surrender. It's in surrender. This is surrender of everything. This is surrender in our priorities. This is surrender in our time to Jesus. Whatever that may look like for you. But releasing it to Jesus. For this man, it was money. And he, could, he couldn't reach out and take the hand of Jesus because his hands were so full of money and, 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 and material possessions that he could not reach out. So it skips right through his fingers and he walks away. I'd ask you this question. What keeps you from clinging to surrendering to Jesus? What are you holding so tightly to that you feel like it's your security blanket. And you're trying, to, you're trying to hold on to Jesus, but you're holding on to this thing at the same time. And you're being robbed, by the way, because that's, that's the tactic of the enemy, is to make you feel secure in something else. 
I mean, if somebody broke into my house, it does feel really secure when you start hearing noises. Anybody, I'm, I mean, I'm at the age still that where I'm home by myself and I hear noises, I freak out. The safest places, obviously, put a blanket over your head and no one will know. Anybody still do that? Let's just be honest in here. You hear a noise, put the blanket over your head, and maybe they won't notice this big lump in the middle of the bed, right? Is that really secure? There's not a robber in the world that's going to walk in that room and go, that's a weird lump in the bed, but I don't think anybody's there, and they just walk away, you know? We try to put ourselves in, in secure. No, what are you going to do when somebody breaks in your house? Well, you're going to call 911, and you're going to put yourself in a safe place. There's no power in the comforter to keep you from the robbers. Guess what? There's no power and no security in these other things outside of Jesus. And, and we have an enemy who is looking to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his resume. And we try to tame him. And we let him offer us securities instead of Jesus, who has plans for you to prosper and not harm you and to live abundantly. So I have to ask, what are you clinging to that is keeping you from surrender? That leads us to this last thing, is the essential question of lordship, but understanding the true value of who Jesus is. Is understanding it. And I, and I wonder sometimes if we, if we get it, because I think the hardest part of the story for me is seeing this guy walk away from Jesus. He's walking away. He had everything that he would ever need right in front of him, and he walked away from it because he was clinging so tightly to the other things. He was not willing to sell all he had. He was not willing to let go. He was clinging. The Gospel of Mark's account makes clear that Jesus loved this guy. He loved the rich young ruler. He was brokenhearted when this guy walked away. Because here you have the Son of God who, who spoke and created the universe. He's in Genesis chapter 1, when the world's being created. He's of the prophecies, of the prophecies spoke about of the coming Messiah. Everything that this guy knew growing up in his Jewish Sunday school class was standing in front of him. But he had built such a life for himself that he felt that he did not need Jesus and he bought into that lie. He didn't understand the value of what God could do. So he walks away. Think about the things that we have walked away from God over. The things that we clearly just walked away. Jim Elliott, the missionary, made this comment. He was a martyr who died as a young man on the beaches of Ecuador. We, we talked about him a few months back, but he says this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Riches you can never keep, ever. But Jesus and an eternal inheritance you can never, ever lose. So what are we holding on to today that keeps us from Jesus? I can't answer that question for you, but what I can tell you is that if Jesus were standing here today, he would say, let go of everything that you're clinging to and follow me. Don't cling to things that are not permanent. Don't cling to things that will pass. He's, he's saying, release these things to me. Why? Because Jesus is worthy of our trust. He's worthy of that. He laid his life down for us. The Bible says when we were his enemies, he died for us. You willing to die for your enemy? You got that last argument you have with that person. Every time you see him in Walmart, you just 
your, your blood pressure like through the roof. You hope the wheel breaks on their buggy and they have to go all the way back up front to get a new one. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I'm just real life. Jesus has prayed for that person. Love that person. And, and to do that means that we have to stop clinging to our, our know-hows. When you surrender whatever it is you're clinging to, you will experience a liberty like you've never experienced before. Because Jesus will fill any void that you have and make things better. He doesn't come in to make things worse. Matter of fact, not a single story in the scripture shows us an account of Jesus coming in and ruining someone's life and walking away. He always comes and brings hope and promise and life. So today, I want you to spend these next few moments as we, as we sing. And I want you to ask yourself this question. It's going to be honest. Is what, what do I need to let go of? Is it my pride? Is it money? Is it relationships? Is it my desires? What is keeping you from doing whatever it takes to follow Jesus daily? Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you so much today for every person in this room. I just ask for your blessing on their lives. But God, also, I pray for your Holy Spirit to bring a conviction to us right now, each one of us, as we all, we all hold on to things. It's so easy. Even maybe right now we're clinging to you, but God, there's moments where we forget you. It's in the, in the valleys that we, we call and cry out, but it's on the mountaintops that we have a tendency to forget. So I just pray right now, Lord, that you would reveal to us what it is we need to let go of so that we can fully cling to you in all of your promises. And I pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen and amen.